Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good evening and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald, and we have a heck of a day for you today. We have a bunch of great articles that are coming your way, and we have a lot of good tech news for you. We're going to be talking about everything from the chip shortage, once again, to Apple being Apple and doing some nefarious things, all the way over to how Tesla is doing some new battery tech, and going to end off with a really interesting article that I think a lot of people in this chat will really enjoy. So, today we are joined once again by Matt Grislow and Ryan Eastman. How are you guys doing today? It's another day, another dollar. There you go. Yeah, I'm good. Good, good. Well, I know we want to cr try and keep our episode a little uh, shorter than usual today because I know Ryan uh, has some festivities going on over there. So uh, we want to keep everything rolling along. Uh, before, we move, before we uh, go on, uh, Grizzle, you want to plug the social media really quickly? Yeah, guys, uh, keep following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Tech Talk Nation Show, Instagram at Tech Talk Nation, and Twitter at Tech Talk Nations. That's Tech Talk Nation with an S. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from, so you can watch us uh, after the fact or listen to us after the fact uh, after we're done live. So uh, go follow us there. We're, we're building uh, kind of a system to post some more stuff. I know it's kind of bare right now, but we appreciate all the followers we're getting, and uh, we want to continue that momentum going forward. So uh, watch out for those posts, and uh, thanks for tuning in tonight. We appreciate all of you. Definitely, and that is for sure. Well, it's been a busy week in tech. I'm not sure if you guys have uh, no, seen that. I mean, we had a lot of articles that we submitted this week, and we had to narrow it down to just some of the biggest articles that we think will be great talking points for the show. So to kind of go into our update segment, uh, to begin today, I'm going to go over uh, once again to the chip shortage. Uh, the chip shortage keeps CIOs and other tech leaders scrambling. Long story short, this article in the Wall Street Journal is basically saying how, as schools are starting now, it's really starting to see the effects of uh, like organizations that are trying to upgrade their technology, and they have all these lead times that are not, not able to get these devices by the time school starts, which is concerning for a number of reasons, because that messes up how people learn and things like that, so... Just another way we are seeing the chip shortage rear its ugly head. Alrighty. Yeah. Well, well, I just want to make one little comment. I think it's just funny how, um, or not funny, um, but uh, interesting that last year you weren't really seeing a lot of this. You know, kids were still working or, or learning remote. Um, and there's more and more kids now that are in schools after you know, the vaccines have been rolled out. Maybe not to all these kids. Um, but we're seeing more and more kids in schools. And so now this uh, sort of uh, back-to-school technology uh, chip shortage is really starting to be a problem. And uh, I expect this to kind of uh, trickle down or, or trickle up or kind of just propagate into more and more uh, areas that we hadn't uh, seen it uh, impact before. Yeah, definitely. Still largely targeting, what do you call it, lower price devices, though. Largely. Yep, I agree. 
Well, the next article we're really going to dive into here with uh, this was mm. big news. And this what made a lot of people on Reddit very, very, very angry. And I'm sure it's going to make uh, a couple of us very angry as well. Um, this is a big piece of big news from Apple here. Apple puts out a six-page FAQ on child abuse photo scanning tech. Long story short, what Apple is going to be doing is they are going to be scanning your photos for any traces of child abuse. And there was a ton of articles on this, and I picked this one in particular because this is kind of like their FAQs, how they're going to handle all of this entire um, fiasco that they've basically dealt with. And long story short, what Apple is doing is they are locally trying to scan all of the pictures on your device and flagging um, pictures that show rampant child abuse or any anything that's that's really terrible and sending that information over to the Center for uh, Miss the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to try and uh, figure out what's going on here. And uh, this is a very interesting article. It's something that I'm not particularly happy seeing technology companies involuntarily forcing on people. But what's your guys' thoughts? This is Brian, big news. You can, uh, you can I can lead us off. Out. All right. Go for I it. feel justified arguing last week over uh, how much data Apple actually takes. It, I remember the first thing seeing us was laughing and putting this in our chat. Like, yep, just... I'd mentioned this, but uh, uh, my take on it is, yeah, it was funny. I don't like it one bit. Uh, I get it. I get the why, you know, and it does seem like it's, you know, good intentions and all that. I get that, but uh, I just don't don't like it one bit because it's a very uh, exportable system. Like, for this purpose, I get it. They're handling, it seems, the data responsibly and doing everything responsibly. Uh, the two things they're doing, because there is the one thing is only applies to iCloud looking for uh, uh, basically CP, more or less. But uh, and then the second thing is it actually goes through messages for uh, young kids, and it, like, hides pictures uh, locally. And it sends messages to like the parents if they open them, or hides potentially like uh, not safe pictures. Un that's all we're CSAM. CSAM is the the acronym. Well, no, the other one's just hiding unsafe pictures for kids. For kids or of kids? Uh, for. Like it's in their messages. And it's trying to stop them from looking at that, and the parents get notified if they open it if they're under. 13. Oh, really? So, I like, that, but that's, yeah. I didn't Sorry, see that, but that's pretty yelling in the background. Oh, yeah, no, that was in the FAQ. Huh. But, uh, I don't know. My take on it is I don't like it. I get why. I get the whole good intentions thing, but, you know, the old cliche uh, road to hell is paved with good intentions because, like, just scanning through messages and hiding things is very. Man, I can just see future problems down the road because. I mean, even just recently, technology companies have been taking all this interest in trying to stop what they call misinformation and all that. And, you know, it's such a quick step to uh, 
export that basically to like, oh, hiding misinformation from other people's phones so they don't see it. Right. And it's it's, it's also... such like a yeah. it's an easy step. That's why I don't like it because I get why they're doing it for this specific thing. And specifically for the iCloud thing, that makes complete and total sense to me. Because that's their servers. And if you have it on their servers, that's their problem when the FBI raids them. Because they shouldn't have that, obviously. It's illegal. And right. immoral, quite frankly. It's... I get that part. That part doesn't really bother me that much because they're just cleaning it off their servers. Because they can't have that there. That's... I mean, it's their servers and it's their responsibility. The local phone thing is what actually bothers me. That's the one that actually like gets to me. And I, I have two points for that, too. One, they have that code on your phone, then, that somehow finds this, which means that they kind of have that code on everything, you could argue. Sure. Which is, which well, is, that's the one for the messages one. Yeah, right. The other one only comes through your iCloud, the one that's looking for a CP. Okay. Right, right. And or the, CSAF. The CSAM, other, yeah. And the other thing that I, I find interesting, too, yeah. is, and somebody brought this up on Reddit, is there's kind of two conundrums that you could have here. One, what about a parent who would say, like, take a picture of their kid during bath time or something like that? Would that get flagged as them trying to drown a kid? Or would that get flagged, like, That's anyway? Example. I mean, I, I don't no, know. Like, I, You know, I, I think you're actually, you have a fair point there, Fitz. I mean, I, I don't quite uh, think it's well, I, a bad example. I read through their FAQ. I read through their FAQ and everything goes through a manual confirmation. Okay. So I I remember reading something about the manual thing and there's like a trillion or one in one trillion or something percent chance that a picture would be flagged, which number one, I don't believe. Well, if something gets flagged and it's wrong, you still need a manual confirmation to actually tip Mm -hmm. off law enforcement. Okay. And then the second point is what about people who enjoy certain um f- fantasies Kinks. yeah that yeah i i mean i don't know like w- will that get flagged like i uh this this whole uh issue of apple now kind of backtracking on their whole privacy thing is is hard because on one hand, right, you know, you're right, Ryan, they shouldn't have this stuff anyway. It's illegal. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of this stuff anyway, but at the same time, you know, Apple has to protect at least on the side of their server side, you know, their information that's on there. And if they have any incriminating or illegal things on there, then um, I suppose, and then it's on them and it's well within their right to kind of uh, search for that. Um, but I, and I know I've argued against this with you in the past, Ryan, um, (laughs) but I, I do agree that it is sort of a slippery slope, especially considering Apple's huge push for privacy, um, and, and, and especially more so, uh, their push for more on device protection on device, um, you know, security, more things on device and not, you know, anything on the cloud. So when they talk about, and they start, uh, implementing these things, um, that have to interact with your device yeah. when you go into the cloud. I, I do kind of see it as a bit of a slippery slope, like, okay, well, now we're doing this for a good purpose, right, initially, but what? how, how can they kind of 
push the line, um, especially, you know, if there's new leadership at Apple. Tim Cook's not going to last forever. He's not a, you know, he's not immortal. You know, Steve Jobs wasn't either. I mean, we all, you know, know what happened there. Um, you know, there's going to be a next guy or a next yeah. girl. Uh, and uh, I can totally understand where this can uh, kind of be pushed in a different direction, all for the sake of protection or maybe under the guise of protection, which yeah. I, I can see is, is problematic. I did not know about the messages uh, portion yeah. of this. Which the message does, is the uh, one that I take issue with. Yeah, that's the one I, I probably take issue with uh, of both of these or uh, these two separate sort of well, instances because only because it seems like, and from what you're telling me, um, it, it's on device. This isn't, you know, it's going to. Yeah, the messages one is on device because it doesn't break end to end encryption, so it has to go on the device. Yeah, see, that, that sort of thing does scare me. I, yeah. I don't really love that, and that does uh, freak me out a bit. Uh, but I mean, what, what am I going to do? It's it's not right. like it, it doesn't seem like Apple's going to be um, pulling this. Well, you know, the pulling the plug on this. No, absolutely. No. Not. And here's the thing. You, you mentioned this, too, kind of like you're getting that slippery slope here. Um, Harkening back to a very, very old time on the show when Ryan, you used to say, Johnny giveth, well, Johnny taketh day. away. Like, imagine. That, that, well, Johnny Ives doesn't even work there anymore. Exactly. And imagine, imagine <laughs> if something. Giveth, Johnny taketh away. There you go. Back in the, back when we had the studio. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, think, think about that, though. If you start with something like this, where could that lead? Could that lead all the way down to you getting flagged for saying that about one of their designers and then your phone magically not working or something like that? So, yeah. I mean, it's actually a really fair point, though, after yeah. all that you bring up, especially because there's kind of a buzz right now um, about social media or you know, about social media censorship, you know, you're saying the wrong thing, you saying something that someone doesn't agree with, no matter if it's true or not. Um, and getting banned or, you know, ultimately taken off the platform or suspended. Um, I mean, it's a little different because those are private companies. When you enter into, you know, your agreement, when you create a, a profile, you, you do sort of wave your rights a bit. And it's sort of a, it's an odd situation considering now the, the, the public square, if you will, is very digital now. Um, so it's hard to do that. But this is a personal device of, of someone else's Um I, I haven't poured through, I'm sure, the hundreds of hundreds of pages in the terms of service for ownership of an iPhone. Um, that time. But I don't have time for that. But at the end of the day, whether or not it does say they can, you know, use what you have on there, even when they do, you know, give you options every time you, you open something new or you, you have a new device asking if you want to send things back to Apple and you opt out, um, it does kind of scare me uh, where, where they could take this, especially because... In the past few years, they've said no to uh, federal law enforcement of trying to get into people's phones to get uh, information uh, from from criminals. Uh, I, I wonder if this kind of opens or reopens that door to the possibility of Apple now kind of working with officials with this new stance of, okay, we are going to, we're not going to tolerate things that are illegal. Will this impact that? Yeah. Well, the iCloud thing, that one I do actually sympathize, sympathize with and will actually give them defense on because if it's on their servers, it does technically become their responsibility. Right. Like there is, cause their servers are the ones that will get raided cause that's where it's stored. 
if you have the photo not on iCloud and only on your device, it wouldn't actually check it. Right. So that's like an iCloud only feature. It's the messages one that that's the one that I'm zoned in on and I don't like because that's yeah. So what that does is uh, any sexually explicit image, uh, if you're listed as a minor, you it gets auto hidden, and you have to manually click to reveal it. And if you do that, the uh, parents are notified. Uh, I, the notif the parents notified thing actually stops once you turn 13, which is weird. But that's, that's uh, I guess uh, because the my biggest question is how do they know if you're a minor or not? Is it that you? Oh, it's in like your Apple minor? account. Yeah, it's in your Apple account. It would be in your Apple account. It'd be you have to be on like some family plan. Yeah, it's like a family where your parents are managing your account. Oh, this is only a feature where that that's only the case if you're yeah. on a family plan, and the family has to turn it on. Okay, so it's it's not just on. no, it's not auto on. It's oh, literally okay. only for minors, only if the family turns on. It's a very small like push in that direction, admittedly. Well, okay, but it's I still a push that. in that direction. Now that I know that, though, I mean, there's plenty of features that are optional that you don't have to opt into. Sure. It's totally up to, you know, the user or whatever. It's I, I, I think from a, from a uh, parental uh, side of things, this is just another um, tool for, for parents to guard their kids from, you know, anything bad or whatever. I remember sure. um, back, in, back in the day, I won't say where or whatever, um, when, when I was younger in, in school, um, there were some, uh, images that went out of, of someone and, uh, everyone got in, in trouble that got them. And, uh, I can see, and it's bad. That's terrible. Um, no matter if th that person intended for those to get out or not. And so I, I, I do, I, I do believe that it's not a bad tool. It would have definitely maybe, maybe stopped that no, it wouldn't uh, or, or lessened that from, from becoming a bigger issue. I think um, it would have amplified it, honestly. You would have been, uh, how old would you have been? Probably like, what, 14 when that happened, give or take? Yeah, we're 14. So no parents would have been notified. It would have just been, all it would have required you to do is click reveal. Oh, because it opts out. As soon as you turn 13, after. yeah, when you're 13, mm. it stops notifying the parents. Mm. Which, I don't know why that's their cutoff or whatever. It's something having it to do with arbitrary the, and weird. It's something with it's the just weird if they're targeting minors and they're capping it at thirteen. It's, it's yeah, that's the part that confuses. It's me. something with one of the laws. I'm, yeah, I, it still it's, uh, auto hides the picture, but then, I mean, you can still just click through. Interesting. It's yeah, still to I, me I, just a. It's a very subtle push in that direction, but just the fact that. If you're scanning on device things and trying to censor them a little bit, it it gets me. I'm touchy on that because, especially with recently, how many uh, sites have made it their mission to like try to stop whatever they consider to be misinformation, whether or not that's accurate, because what they consider to be misinformation changes constantly, especially with uh, the coof recently. But uh, you know the positions change a lot. But the point is. It's just a push in that direction. They can stop you from now that they have that device or they have code on there. They can stop certain things. And once you just push that a little further in, then you can still claim under the guise of like good morals, like, oh, we're just trying to stop people getting lied to. We're trying to stop misinformation, et cetera. 
yeah, like we're not going to let, like we're going to prevent you from sending any message that says the iPhone batteries die out after a certain amount of time. Like, like stuff, <laughs> yeah, like stuff like that's that. That's the easiest way to export is to stop you from mm -hmm. talking trash about Apple. But I mean, now that, now that I do know though, that or, or I get that it's still a step of it. I, I, I'm not really that much against this implementation of it. But I do understand, and I and once again, I, I repeat worried. my line. I am worried about kind of how this could escalate, um, because and simply because it's on device and not through the cloud, not through any services you have to opt into. It is essentially baked into the phone. However, it is you know a specific use case. Um, All I will say is that the path to hell is paved with good intentions. I, I understand that. I just, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure if this really is a bad intention. I can see it leading to bad intentions, but. No, um, that's precisely keeping, the point. Keeping, it's not. I know. I know what your point is, <laughs> but I know very clearly what your point is, but um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm conflicted because yeah, you know, there's, there's good things to this. There's a very obvious good thing, but I do feel like um, their implementation of this good thing not not air quotes the good thing it is a good thing um is a little it's a little lacking it, it doesn't make sense to me that they're capping this at 13 if they're keeping it to minors raise it to 18. um i, I don't think it's a difference between in the, in the law a 13 and a 14 year old well here's the thing even younger than that you can still reveal the image it just notifies the parent that's the only difference so it says it's because of kappa the Children Online Privacy Protection Act, passed in sure. 1998, that sets the restricts websites from tracking data on children under 13 years of age. So mm. it's all okay. So that's where they got their number. Yep, it's Kappa. Mm. So basically, that's like the internet's age of adulthood, as a Wall Street Journal puts it. Weird. I don't think I was an adult at 14. Not at all. Even at 18. <laughs> Even I at know 21. 21 and, year you, olds who and, and Fitz, you knew me when I was 14 <laughs> and 18. I know some 21 year olds who aren't adults, quite frankly, but. <laughs> oh, believe me, I know some, some you know, people in their middle ages that are uh, 40s, 50s that could be a little more grown up, but. There you go. Yeah. Well, anyway, very good discussion on this article. In the interest of time, we probably should move on. Uh, so our next article here is about D.C., Washington, D.C., giving away AirPods to encourage youth vaccinations. Uh, either you could get a pair of AirPods or you could get a $51 gift card, um, which is interesting. So they're just basically uh, telling people to get the vaccine this way. Um, and giving them AirPods, so kind of cool, I guess. Well, the fifty-one dollar thing comes from uh, the push for the, to be the fifty-first state for DC to be a fifty-first state. Um, <laughs> although I think it's Stupid. funny though that they say that you can either have this thing that's valued at over a hundred dollars, or you can take a fifty-one dollar gift card. Ooh. I think it's a little silly. Right. You can resell the AirPods for more. Than fifty-one dollars. There you go. Stupid. The point of DC is that it's not a state, so it's free from statehood intervention. But I digress. There you go. Well, speaking of laws, it's tech talk nation, not political talk nation. <laughs> Sorry, I'll start that show separately. <laughs> well, anyway, speaking of laws, uh, infrastructure bill. 
a little bit of an update on what we've been kind of talking about. The infrastructure bill would mandate vehicles that have alcohol monitoring systems. Basically, they slipped this in as part of the bill um, saying like, hey, automakers are now going to have to figure out ways to prevent drunk driving um, in the cars using anything else. It said uh, car makers to have technology to prevents or limits operation once potential impairment is detected. Um, basically, it would issue a warning, slow the vehicle, or pull it over, or something. Uh, people have said that in this thing, they've kind of speculated, like maybe using the air quality within the cabin, or something along the lines of that to determine the blood alcohol level. And I find this interesting. I mean, I support the concept of com- literally creating a physical lockout to prevent somebody from, from drunk driving. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where I hope it just doesn't impair the overall driving experience where it's like, you have to stare into a sensor for 10 minutes or something like that for it to your car to turn on. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. I knew you would. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel, man, I, I, I don't know if I really can say that I feel the same way about this as I do about the Apple iCloud stuff because, um, you know, sending sending harmful pictures or illicit pictures to minors or pictures of minors to other minors um, is, is against the law. Um, driving under the influence is also against the law. The difference in these situations, though, is that... Um, you know, you're, you're kind of, see, I don't know. It's tough. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure. And maybe this is a topic of conversation. If it's the automaker's responsibility to, uh, sort of judge and critique, uh, users, um, ability to, to drive. Um, furthermore, I, I think it could be interesting to see how, this technology could be, um, this potential technology could be uh, not not implemented properly in the case of people who have some actual physical uh, or mental impairments. Um, I, I can see that being a problem right away. Yeah, good point. I find it stupid. I mean, yeah. You can't say, listen. You can't save people from themselves. All right. We already have uh, tons of places where. If you get caught with a DUI, you now have a breathalyzer in your car that you have to blow on to start driving again. That's in so many places, that's the case. And like, what you can't, it's so hard to save people from themselves. All right. Really? Yeah. Like, at the same time, maybe hear me out, right? McDonald's, right? They should have to like keep a registry of credit cards so you can't eat too much McDonald's because you're going to get fat and die. Hmm. Good point. Hmm? Let's do. Let's implement that too. Let's stop people from dying from cholesterol. That's like the number two killer in the country. I, I guess the biggest difference, though, here is you eat a cheeseburger five times a week. That that will not ultimately impact other people. If you drive drunk or impaired on the roads, that could potentially impact other people. Not just their, you know, here and now physical being, but in, in the future, whether or not they're actually here alive on this earth. So that's why I sure. do understand this. Uh, this sort of implementation of it. I do think, however, um, this is a little bit of a slight um, segue out of the 
infrastructure portion of the build. Do you think that is? <laughs> uh, yeah. There's plenty have of you, stuff in there that I don't. I I, I, I want to ask. Have you read through the bill? On topic. I, I want to stay on topic for a second. Um, sure. And just I'll go this. off topic in a second. <laughs> it, just staying on topic here, just just for the rest of my my point. Um, I, I don't understand why this is uh something that has to be in there for infrastructure. Um, I think charging stations is infrastructure. Uh, putting or mandating um car manufacturers to install these systems into cars is not infrastructure. Um, and I can definitely see this just because I know, you know, Ryan, you're against this and I'm in a way against this as well. Um, I can see this being a problem in, in Congress. Um, but again, yeah. you know, it, it is a, you are a danger to yourself and others, not just to yourself uh, when you drive impaired. And so I see this as a positive, but also again, a negative because well, I don't like the idea that now car manufacturers or, or car makers are determining whether or not you can drive um, based off of, I can only imagine to be a very rough first generation of limited uh, technology or, or flawed technology. And obviously there being uh, cases where it will not work uh, in cases where people have physical or mental impairments who are still able to drive and perfectly capable, you know. To, to add on, yeah. To add on to your point here, uh, the timeline that they give for this is six years from now to implement this system. So knowing politics and knowing the the way things work, who knows if this is actually going to happen. I just find it interesting that it got put in the bill. Um, And furthermore... yeah. How how long you got for me to describe to you all the crap that's gone into that bill that doesn't relate to infrastructure? I know there's a lot of I don't know if you remember last week there was the crypto stuff in the infrastructure bill which has nothing to do with infrastructure. Community college doesn't really have anything to do with infrastructure. There's been like 20 there's probably if I read through the bill which I won't do because they make bills 2000 pages long which for a reason by the way. Yeah, no, that should be illegal as well, but whatever. <laughs> if you actually made a list, I'm sure there's hundreds of items in there that have nothing to do with infrastructure. Right. Well, I mean, they've been doing this for years, too. The Patriot Act has nothing to do with being patriotic. It has everything to do with taking away civil liberties, but whatever. Uh, just one, one I digress. Point, though, on <laughs> what, you're, what you're talking about, about, you know, um, Congress or the, the, the law um, mandating things for, for car makers. Um, a short time ago, I, I can't remember if it was Congress or if it was what, whatever bureau of, of bureaucracy um, mandated this, but... Um, a short time ago, within 10 years ago, let's say six years ago, uh, they said uh, mandated or starting to mandate, started mandating um, that cars had backup cameras and that was for safety. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't think that's a, a very trivial kind of thing. Um, I see this as sort of an extension of that sort of, you know, protection. Of I, why protection why of do I have consumer. to have a backup camera? Why can't I just learn how to back up? You're not protecting. Okay. You're trying to protect the consumer from themselves, right? But I, I think in my the reason I bring this up is I think this is a perfect example of something that is not um, inhibitive or puts some sort of burden on the user or, or prevents the user from doing anything. If anything, I suppose if you're not being too careful, um, it can stop you if the car has any sort of like active braking system when it when it senses something nearby the car when you're backing up. Um, I think that's a good thing. I don't. I can't. I really don't understand the reason why you could argue against that. Easy. I'm a programmer. I I know other programmers. (laughs) Okay. 
I, I don't think you can argue against this being a, a, a an easy. Yes, I can. It shouldn't be mandated. One and done. It shouldn't be mandated. If I'm a consumer and I think that's important to me, I will ask for it and I will buy it. I don't need you to step in and do it. The free market will handle that. Well, but constricting the free. Well, it takes out lower end cars for people who can't afford better cars. This is the problem with messing with a free market. Well, Ryan, it's a moot point because now, at least since I believe 2016 or 17, all cars manufactured or sold into the United States are required to have backup cameras. It's so not a moot point. A Someone should car. take that out. That's stupid. I think it's a perfectly good safety no, uh, I, listen, option. You, it's yes, and it is, but it should be an option. It shouldn't be mandatory. By okay, forcing extra feature, electronics, right? by or forcing extra things in there, you actually price out people who could have afforded a car and can't anymore. Because now I... you have to pay more to get a car, and the base price of a car goes up and up and up. And people who could normally afford cars, which would add a layer of freedom and travel to their life, can't. I would challenge you on, on the, this point and this point only. Um, when manufacturers have to buy parts, they buy parts in bulk, which drives the price down exponentially. When you're talking about a simple camera sensor and just a slight modification of a back um, trim piece to include the camera, I don't really think it's going to drive or did really drive the price up of a car at all. Uh, moreover, I do think the the benefits outweigh the potential you know risks or downfalls. And, and to be quite honest with you, I'm not quite sure that that has really priced out anyone of, of not owning a car. And, and I can't imagine that they baked, they being the car makers, baked a significant amount of profit or, or margin into the cars because they have I'm not saying they camera. made profit off it. I'm saying you've raised the base cross and you're not thinking about the trickle down right. effect of adding a base camera. Because now you have right, a camera, right. you need a sensor, you need to run wires to the back, you have to have a cam system in there. You have to have a display screen for someone to look at it. You're increasing the price with every car. I mean, Ryan, there's plenty of, I don't, I can't give you a, a car right now that's being sold without a, a, a screen. Even I, under, a really listen, crappy screen. I understand this is a moot point because they've already put it in there, but it shouldn't be this way. It should be a bottom-up demand, not a top-down order. I, I guess I won't be able to agree with you on this, but I, I can say at least one example. One thing I can agree with you on um, would be the idea that as all of these safety features uh, or, or safety options rather are becoming features, I, I do fully believe that that is uh, making our current and future drivers uh, more and more prone to accidents because they're relying more and more on technology. That I can most definitely agree with you on. And I, I can't imagine you disagreeing with me on. Yeah, no, I like, I like not having blind spot monitors or a backup camera or even a backup beeper. It's made me very good at driving. <laughs> there yeah, you go. I, I, think they're good, I think they're good options, potentially good features. And anything to protect That's... you and, and, and other people from you are good. It's but... the options part that bothers me. I want it to be optional. Right, but in 2021, I can't imagine a small backup camera, the wires that are cents on the dollar for, for these big manufacturers to really impact the cost of cars so much so that it's impacting the consumers so much that they can't afford cars. I, I really can't. I, I can't agree with See, But that's because you're thinking of it in a single instant and not as principle by principle. They've mandated, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a list of 200 items that they've mandated being certain that have slowly driven up the price of a car. Because I know in my lifetime, just from watching commercials, the base price has gone up at like, I'd guess somewhere around 10 grand. 
Hmm. And the number is in front of me to prove it. But again, Very... uh, I really doubt that's impacting uh, a consumer's ability to purchase. No, that's one because they're still because the camera maybe, but you still have you know to display and all the other stuff, and it's a fancy. I think it's a cam wired system. But if well, the list is 200 items long, then you start going up and up in price because now you're putting in a ton more things. I think the big difference between what you guys are seeing here is Ryan's thinking more of like, here's all of the things that they've done in the last whatever years that have driven the price of a car up. And and Grizzlo, you're thinking about this this one specific scenario. I mean, I, I understand both sides here. I understand what what both of you guys are thinking I'm very passionate and i, <laughs> I mean i'm not really i'm holding on <laughs> i mean i think i think that you're def you definitely see that a little bit um probably not as amplified as as you think but hey i'd, I'd actually be interested in doing some research into that and maybe bringing that up in a uh, future episode here so as a as a final point though i mean don't forget ryan these laws are governing new cars um not not used cars and especially right now with the chip shortage right um used cars are are more prevalent than than uh new cars and to that end though they're still more expensive than they were before um so i don't think i mean price is always going to be a problem no matter what but i don't think that it is ultimately an issue well, when it comes term to versus long term you can thinking. always buy you can always buy a used car and a used car is always going to be cheaper than an expensive car Sure. Eventually, eventually, all cars that are used are going to have these systems. Sure, but you're still thinking in uh, what do you call it? Short term, long term. As the older and older cars break down, break down, and get scrapped, and just attrition off the highway through accidents and other things, that base price of a used car is going to creep up and up to match the increase for the uh, new car. You. I, I, I get hope, what I hope you know. GDP rises and people you know can make more money now than they did fifty years ago. Yeah, well, year over year inflation is five point four percent. So you know, or sorry, month over month. That's and terrifying. that's only as of the last <laughs> what year? Two years? Three years? Yeah, no, only not even the last year. Like the last year and a half, maybe. Well, Jeez. then we can't really talk long term here. This last month was five point four percent, which is insane. Jeez. Anyway, I'm not anyway, let's transition speaking, out of economics. Speaking of inflation <laughs> and prices and stuff like that, economic talk nation can... next week with Ryan Eastman. <laughs> Actually, this is more money, which is kind of a pain. AMC will have a technology <laughs> to receive Bitcoin as a payment by year end, according to their CEO. And uh, well, uh, thanks, thanks for the memes, Ooh. AMC. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say, here. <laughs> but like, Hey, good for you, I guess. Uh, just go along with the memes. Uh, you're going to profit eventually, I guess. So. I mean, it's another step towards mainlining crypto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's definitely something kind of like a uh, future proofing, you know, in the long term. It's just funny. I, I can't imagine, like, I remember going, you know, to the, the theater when I was younger, you'd go up to this counter, you'd flip them a dollar, a, a bill, whether it was 20 bucks, whatever it was. Um, you know, I guess you could pay with your credit card. Now you can do, you know, wireless touch to pay things. Um, Even the uh, It makes sense to kind of evolve that sort of uh, payment use. But I, it's just funny to me to think that someday in the future, as long as all of this, um, you know, internet coin, uh, is more and more prevalent. Um, 
that there's going to be 10 year olds and, and 13 year olds paying to go see uh, Fast and Furious 65 with uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> fast and furious yeah and i mean it is like an, it's probably like an nfc tap or like a scan a qr code on my phone thing like, I it's could really see cool it. yeah i bet well you know what you know what you got to do in order to pay with bitcoin you actually have to have bitcoin and apparently google doesn't think you need money so um they just rolled out a pay calculator explaining cuts for their employees who are going to be working from home. And this was actually, I think like pretty breaking news, like as of yesterday or today or something like that. Uh, but long story short, they have like a new internal calculator that basically prioritizes where certain people live within the organization and they like don't get a pay cut. But if you moved somewhere or live somewhere that has a lower cost of living, they're just going to shave off part of your salary. If you don't come in and work in the office, uh, so I don't know. Hey, uh, uh, I, th- I have uh, a take on this. Okay. I, so I, I work, uh, remote half the day, half the week. And, and the other half the week I work in, uh, the office. It's a hybrid situation. I work three days in the office, two days at home. Um, I'm 35 minutes from my place of work. Um, or at least one of the offices, maybe 20 from the other. Um, I live near a big metro area or a, a bigger metro area than, you know, a lot of other cities, you know, like smaller cities, right? Indianapolis. Um, I really do not like this move for a few reasons, but mostly because it seems like a lot of uh, companies, at least those that were initially very, uh, very aggressive trying to get their employees back in the office and are now pulling back that Google is essentially not just um, being still being aggressive on getting people in the office, but they're sort of pushing the gas pedal harder on it. I, I don't really like this at all. I, I can understand the situations which they do bring up in the article about where people move away or they move to other areas such that it, they just can't commute in, right, if they have to. Um, I, can, I can understand that as being a problem, but to me, I, I think the pandemic has shown that people can work pre- fairly efficiently uh, at home and in some cases even more so than at work. Now, I understand it's not the case for everyone, um, but I can say at least for, for my team, it sounds like that that is the case. Um, and they're not you know, giving us pay cuts because we're not coming in five days a week. Um, if you can do your job just as well at home as you can in the office, I don't understand why you have to have sort of a, a pay cut. And to that end, I mean, you're really going to penalize people that are living further away from work when they already have to commute an hour in, not to mention how much they're going to have to spend on gas right now because gas prices are high. You're not incentivizing people to stay with the company um, if you're going to be charging people more or making people spend more of their personal money to get to work and make less, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I get, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to normalize, I guess the actual take-home money people from the city get and people who are living out in the suburbs get, but like it annoys me a little bit, I think, because those people chose to live in the city and those people chose to live in the suburbs for separate reasons. I mean. And they both took that offer because they thought the compensation was fair. Yeah. So. Right. I I think another interesting point too is, um, and, and something I didn't find was 
how this impacts, I mean, it's a calculator, right? It's based off where you live. Um, how this or, or how it impacts the different jobs in the company. For example, you could have at Google uh, an engineer making, I don't know, let's say $150,000 a year. You can have another person who makes half that. Uh, what's that? Seven seventy-five thousand dollars a year, uh-huh. right? That both live in New York City, but that person that makes more money, um, or I'm sorry, that that person could the person that makes less money could live out in in, in the burbs, right? But the person that's uh, making more money, that's living in the city, is not seeing a tax, uh, or I'm sorry, not a tax cut, but a pay cut, versus the person who's making less money because he can't afford to live in the city because it's expensive is seeing a, a pay cut. I think that's sort of almost discriminatory um, in sort of like a caste, a caste uh, or a class system um, where you're saying, okay, people that make more money and then can afford to live in the city will not get uh, a, a pay cut or so as big of a pay cut. Let's, let's... But the people that don't live in the city who can't afford to live in the city, who commute in because it's cheaper for them and their um, you know, overall budget in, in their life uh, living situation are going to get less money because they don't live uh, near New Year in the city. Let's qualify this though. It seems like from my, my very limited reading on this, it seems like if you go into the office, you're not affected. You, you're completely not affected. If you go into the office, if you want to stay work from home, this is when this actually happens. So therefore you don't have the cost to commute to the city you don't have the cost to park your car or get food or whatever you do while you're in the city and then the cost to get back. So would you argue that they're technically in the right for trying to level out the, um, the cost of commuting basically? No, I have to see the numbers. I have seen numbers, but I don't, especially just because again, you get that person that makes, $150,000 $150,000 living in the city and the person out in the suburbs that makes $75,000. If the person that uh, it lives in the city making $150,000 wants to you know, work remote or work from home a day, two days, whatever it is that uh, initiates that pay cut, it doesn't matter. It's really not going to matter to them. They're still making a heck of a lot more money. And the person that lives outside the city that makes less money still has to pay for all that gas and the parking and all that. And it's still right. making less. So I, I really don't see this as, and again, uh, there needs to be more information that comes out on this. But if that's the case where they are not sort of classifying the different uh, salary levels, and it's all sort of a blanket based off of uh, geographic location or, or area code or zip code, I find this to be very problematic. Interesting. Because, I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, the pandemic is, is almost not forced people, but they sort of set up lives where they they now sort of would like to or need to stay stay at home a week maybe let's say um and again if if their productivity is still high and fine i don't know why we're penalizing people that uh can work efficiently at home uh to to work remotely interesting they could lose some employees over this and that's the end of what i'll say there you <laughs> people go. might quit because this makes them mad to, to that it. end, though, I will say this. Um, there are definitely cases and situations, and this is a point I've made before uh, on, on the show. There are definitely situations and cases where you definitely do need to be in a team, uh, physical team setting, 
in in an office and in, in a conference room with a whiteboard, whatever. Um, I can definitely see that being problematic with some companies and maybe Google's seeing this as an issue right now. And this is their response to that. Cause I can't imagine um, in the middle of this kind of surge of the Delta variant of, of COVID-19 that, you know, they're, they're trying to push this no matter, no matter what, right. There's gotta be some sort of motivating factor. Um, but yeah, I, I see this as pretty problematic. Definitely. Unless there's more information that comes out. We'll see. And definitely we'll have to do an update on this one. Well, I got a question for you guys. What is is this a picture of a foldable phone? Does that does that look like a, a picture of a phone that folds in half? Hmm. Well, hmm. hmm, that's that's a good hmm. that's a a good answer to that question because it's not. Uh, OnePlus just decided to release this like super cryptic video uh, that shows that shows this, and it looks like a foldable phone, but. No, it's just them putting two phones next to each other. So, uh, yeah, they say it's like a half-off sale that they're doing, but they just put two phones together. So, what? But uh, we were really hoping for them to release a foldable phone on that 811. Uh, And the reason that's important is because of Samsung. And they had a Galaxy Unpacked event where they released a Galaxy Z Fold 3, a Z Flip 3, Watch 4, Buds 2, and a couple of other things. Now, I really, really quickly read this. Uh, Basically, um, long story short, um, Samsung's releasing a bunch of new hardware, uh, more of these flip phones, I guess. Uh, Foldable. Yeah, foldable. Good word, good word. One of them's a flip and one of them's like a book. Well, uh, one's a fold, one's a flip. One's a fold, yeah. one's a flip. There it's in go. the name. <laughs> ah, who, who would have thought that? Who would have thought? But, hey, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I still think foldable and, or excuse me, flip phones where there's no, uh, you have a literal crease in the screen. I just see that as a terrible idea. Um, but that's just me. Sure. Supposedly all of their stuff got... It's like their year-over-year improvements, good. Stuff got better. It's gotten waterproofing. It's whatever. One UI has never been for me, so the phones don't actually grab me. I think the real star here is actually the watch. Right, and I was going to... I agree. I agree. I was going to mention that. The Galaxy Watch 4 is is really interesting, it looks. Uh, Some health features on there and like heart rate, blood oxygen, and electrocardiogram and sleep tracking uh, on this thing, which is kind of cool. I think that's awesome. So, uh, well, yeah, are those, I don't think those are new features. So I think the newest feature oh. you're talking about is the electrical bioimpedance sensor, which is something yes. I actually did want to talk about because um, I just got this Apple Watch uh, 6 in January, February 1 and 2. Um, it has all those features already. The only thing it doesn't have is that that electrical electrical bioimpedance sensor. It oh measures. Oh my god! Uh, it, I'm gonna defend full, Apple. It, okay, hold on. Uh, it, it's got full. <laughs> th- this sensor, which is really neat on on this uh, device, uh, it measures a full body analysis for BMI, muscle mass, and hydration. Um, I think this is a really neat feature, especially for a wearable. Um, for someone who who already has these uh, this this sort of uh, wearable. 
for health and for fitness, to be able to track your BMI and muscle mass, I think it's very important. And hydration as well is extremely important when you're working out and when you're trying to get fit. Um, this is something I really hope that Apple integrates into their uh, product, their next uh, watch, if not the, uh, the following one. I think it's a really neat, uh, neat sensor here. For sure. Okay, and that was the part where I, oh my God, I'm going to defend Apple. What year is this? <laughs> uh, so I actually have a smart scale and it has that electric bio impedance and it's really cool and I get that. It's a very unreliable measure of all these things. Hmm. Like your BMI will fluctuate wildly. Your fat percentage will fluctuate by five or 6% on a given day. Like it's really not a very consistent good measurement. It's interesting to use it and to try and track things that way because you can kind of normalize all your points over a period of time and I think get an idea. Right. And that's right. how I've tried to use it anyway. But I understand why Apple has chosen not to implement it. And it's because getting it to like relay accurate information consistently is nearly impossible. It's very difficult. Right. So, so you think they're going to wait for the tech to improve before they actually implement that? I don't know if they're that? going to use it at all. Really? That's a very Apple thing, though. Waiting for the tech, oh, yeah, that's true. Figuring out how they can do it better, I can see yeah. that being the case. Someone um, might figure one, out a better way to do this. Yeah, I will say, Ryan. One sort of uh, corollary to your point, uh, or, or jumping off thing for what you said, um, was that. Uh, oh wow, I totally lost my thought. That kind of blows. <laughs> <laughs> I had this great segue, and then I totally dropped it. Oh, um, I, I will say this. Uh, uh, one of the features that I've, I've used quite a bit um, on my, my Apple Watch is the health monitoring uh, feature. I believe it's a new one. If it's not, it's new to me. Um, specifically for monitoring like beats per minute, um, I, I definitely feel when I'm stressed that it, you know it, 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 I can see it jump, and I try and then take active measures to bring it down. It's not very good to have your heart rate up um, you know, past your resting heart rate unless you're working out, right? Um, so if it's constantly very high, uh, that's a good sign that you should probably, you know, decrease your stress levels and things like that. Now, I will say that looking at it for long periods of time can be negative because you, you can keep it consistent. Um, but, but to that end, I have found that the, uh, especially in the Apple Watch, the heart rate monitor um, for BPM can be very off. And it, it's not quite um, what you expect or hope it to be. But I think that is everything to do with, you know, how tight the band is, uh, the position what, of the watch on your, on your, uh, on your forearm. Uh, from what I've heard, you can get a band that goes around uh, kind of like your bicep, tricep, and that actually gives you better readings because it, for whatever reason, gives better contact or there's better uh, a portion of your body that, that is more, I don't know, readable for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but to your point, though, I, I will say that it, it's not just that one sensor that, can have issues or does have issues. Um, it, it's truly, I think, all about the placement of the sensor, um, as well as uh, how close it is to, to your skin or how tight the, the wearable is to your skin. Sure, but to my knowledge, that one is like, it's not just a placement thing. It's because it's bioimpedance, so it's basically sending a little bit of current through you to yeah. try and like figure, and it's guessing. That's the problem because different parts of you have different resistances. Obviously, mm -hmm. fat has a different resistance than water, which has a different resistance than muscle and all that. So it's just trying to kind of take that and kind of guess its way through. 
and it's hard. There's not like it's hard to account for things like uh, bones. It's hard to account for the amount of hair someone has on them. Like, right. It's a very difficult sensor to optimize, is what I think. I can see that too. And even if I, I feel like there's a very specific market that both of these devices, well, in a way, theoretical Apple device would, sure. would target. With with the Samsung, I think you're you're really targeting your enthusiasts, wanna... the, the people who really want to like just just see the data, even if it's not like sure. super relevant. Just see it, like it's super cool. It's it's new. It's exciting. With Apple, people are generally more trusting of the the data that something like that would produce. They'd feel more, they'd feel almost betrayed if it wasn't the highest quality, the most accurate, the best it could be. So sure, mm. and I mean this watch has an interesting place in the market because I don't know how close you guys have watched like wearables, but when this first like became a trend, there was a glut. Every company had their wearable; they had whatever they were doing with it. And then like you had Fit bands, and you had like bands that were just for health and all that, and that's all kind of slowly faded out. There's n no. Let's see, there's like two Android wearables, I think, that are like even remotely popular in the US. And that's uh, the, I think it's the OnePlus uh, watch and then this Samsung's watch. Mm -hmm. What I think gets a lot more uh, share is, say, like Fitbit, I think gets more share than those do. Uh, I think there's another one that's similar, Garmin, maybe Garmin, or something. Yeah, Garmin does one. Some of those mm -hmm. like health specific bands get a lot more play than the actual Android stuff. The Apple Watch sells obviously a bunch to apple people they love it kudos whatever we do love it i love <laughs> yeah, it kudos it's good awesome so th this i think has potential to depending on how much they gatekeep it to samsung devices you could actually sell i think a lot of these to android people because we don't have like a flagship watch like that true and samsung is taking a lot of steps with this it's their own custom silicon or I assume it's their own custom silicon. It might we'll, be we'll IP get to... that they're bother. It might be IP that they're borrowing from people, and we're gonna get that to that into their chip. I don't actually because I read something about the ARM chips they're using, whatnot. Not one hundred percent sure, but the one thing I do know is they were working supposedly hand in hand with Google on whatever Google's update to Wear OS is gonna be, so that right. it can more tightly integrate with Android as a whole. So hopefully that means other Android phones as well. Well, yeah. it's great that well, you bring that well. up. Okay, fine. Say your point. I'm going to transition after that. Last last thing. Um, I, just I couldn't help myself from going back to the sensor thing. I think you can compare it kind of just to weighing yourself daily. It's not going to do anything for you. You're not going to get any good information from weighing yourself, you know, or not even daily, multiple no, times no, no, a day, no. right? Or, or, or even, you know, day after day. It's a sort of over time progression that I think makes the difference. And so for something like a BMI um, sensor, I think it's good for over time. I think you just have to stress the importance that, uh, you know, A, it's new technology and B, and so it's not going to be, you know, as effective or as, um, as good, you know, as it could be in, let's say, three years. And also, this is not something you can just, you know, uh, take every five hours, every other day, because it's not going to drastically change day by day it's an overtime sort of thing kind of the like bmi weight. is consistent because i think that's just like height and weight related but it's all the other add-ons the fat percentage the muscle percentage and the hydration where 
the hydration is the only like day by day one that would actually matter. Right. And I don't know how accurate that one is. I don't think it's very, but I've been wrong before. Sure. Sure. Well, anyway, Ryan, you brought up a point about custom silicon and Samsung here introduced the industry's first five nanometer processor powering wearables. The Exynos W920 has LTE connectivity. Um, and yeah, there's this really cool article from Samsung here about basically this, this new chip, which has two ARM Cortex-A55s, uh, an ARM Mali G68 GPU, and a... I don't think it re it said the amount of uh, memory on there, but um, yeah. A uh, cool. gig and a half. Gig and a half. Somewhere. Or that might be storage. No, I think a gig and a half of memory, uh, 16 gigs of storage. Okay, yeah, for sure. And, and a 4G modem. Like, hey, it's pretty cool to see some uh, new development. And in this case, specifically for wearables, which I think is cool. So that's, I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's. I think it's pretty cool. I, I also think it's really funny that uh, last week we were talking about the Tensor chip and we were talking about how, you know, it's going to be most definitely available to wearables and it's going to be most likely a five nanometer uh, architecture. And so I'm not quite sure if you can say that Samsung beat them to the punch because um, they, they don't say that uh, or when it's going to be available, right? Um, we only know that Google is going to have their announcement um, very soon. Uh, and so they could basically, you know, confirm their claims and that it could be the first one brought to market. Um, but I, I think it is kind of funny that they're, they're going back and forth on uh, five nanometer. And I let's mean, hope that this you know, continues to be the industry standard where we're pushing it, the bounds of, of chip fabrication and we can get to smaller and smaller chips. Obviously there's a limit, yeah. but um, it's good. It's a good step in the right direction uh, for the industry, right? Yeah. I mean, Samsung's had their Xenos or however that's pronounced line of processors for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it holds quite up to the Tensor one, just because the Tensor one has all those like ML specific cores right. for machine learning, right. and it has, I think, integration with their Titan M2 chip for security or something like that. Yep. Yeah, basically their version of a TPM. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well. But you know, it's good to have those tiny, tiny ones, especially on wearables definitely. where that battery life you need to eke out every little bit. Definitely. Oh yeah. Definitely. Cool. Um. I'm not sure. I know, Ryan, you may have to head I out, need to but... go. Yeah. Uh, so... You guys can continue without me. The show must go on. The but show I need must to go. go on. Uh, so if you don't mind, can you uh, cover up your camera and just kind of like mute yourself? Because it's going to ruin pretty much everything about the setup currently. If, uh, if, oh, okay. I see how it is. But anyway, I'm going to turn off uh, your video feed here. I think it's this one. Yep, there we go. Um, there you go. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much to Ryan for joining us today. Uh, before we move on, I uh, just wanted to kind of uh, go over a couple of things here. Oh, I got a tickle in my nose. There we go. Okay, awesome. So our next article here, uh, just left with Matt Squared here, we have an article about Amp. Thank you for... There we go. Uh, Amazon opening up its $1.5 billion air hub in Kentucky, like the, the northern uh, Cincinnati airport there, basically to cut down on delivery times. And this is interesting because it's a tech company that got into aviation and now they own like 75 planes, which is kind of insane. 
So, yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, there is a more interesting point than that, right? Um, Amazon started as, you know, a competitor just to other companies to you know, get all kinds of products um, as a web service. Um, and then obviously using uh, other distributors to get their products to cost to consumers. Um, now what you're seeing though is with this big distribution center, it's interesting that they could now have the capability and the capacity to operate as a limited or small-ish compared to let's say uh, USPS or even UPS, unless numbers are really good, uh, a small parcel service. We talk about all kinds of these uh, companies becoming more than what they initially were, right? Google last week, we talked about how they started as a software company and now they're getting into hardware. Um, it's interesting to see that it's, there's potential for, well, uh, you know, you can get your products shipped by Amazon and especially because they're pumping all kinds of money into their uh, infrastructure for delivery services. You see it with this, 1.5 or what was it? 1.5 uh, $1. billion. $1.5 billion. Yeah, this $1.5 billion uh, distribution uh, terminal at, at an airport. You, you've seen it before with uh, their big push for their own electric. Uh, I'm not sure if they're autonomous, but at the very least electric vehicles for delivery. I can see them becoming not just um, a company that sells you stuff, not just a company that web hosts and is very good at that. And that's a big part of their marketing and strategy. Not just a media company with their Amazon Prime, right, or with their, the Amazon Prime Video, but now also potentially as a package delivery service. Yeah, a, a legit package delivery service. And it's cool you bring that up, too, because from the the inception of Amazon up, I think, I forget when it started, but there's a feature of Amazon that allows you to basically send them just basically straight from the factory, send them all your product. They will warehouse, they will package, they will ship, and they will sell all of the product that you make from your factory. So you're kind of get you're killing the supply chain there because you're, you are going straight from basically factory to consumer almost. You, you don't really have a, a middleman there. I mean, Amazon is your warehousing middleman here, but... There, it's not the traditional like three levels. You have like your distributor, then your wholesaler, then your supplier, then your consumer. Like it's or your your store, then your consumer. Like it is just cutting out so much of that supply chain there. And I think that's what Amazon's really going for, especially with this this new hub, this service offering, where they're just going to be the one stop shop of you want to sell something online, yeah just you just write us a check you don't have to worry about usps you don't have to worry about anything we're just going to do every single thing for you so yeah yeah i think it's funny that the premise of this article is just they're going to be expanding their services are going to make their one day shipping their two day shipping whatever a same day shipping uh quicker more effective more efficient uh and better for the consumer but i i do think there's ultimately many more uh important and bigger implications of this huge new hub for something like what 15 planes um they said that they can have 25 or 50 it could even be more um it's in the article i, I can't recall um but they bought a lot of planes uh, yeah. to be able to do this well they, they're you used boeing uh airline uh planes yep it says in here i i read it earlier um 
They have, it's designed to have a capacity of a hundred Amazon planes. As of right now, Air, Amazon Air only has more than 75 aircraft in the network. And the company expects to have more than 80 by this time next year and 80, uh, next year and 85 leased and owned by the end of 2022. So yeah, that's insane. impressive. That's like, really impressive. That's insane. And it's it's crazy because they um, have uh, some some bigger players like Atlas Air, Air Transport Services, and Sun Country Airlines basically contracting and flying planes for Amazon. So they they basically either repaint one of their planes or they get in an Amazon plane and they just operate the plane, which is which is crazy. And it's still keeping all that stuff going. Like I, I remember uh, I've when we go plane watching, we can literally see the Amazon planes taking off. And it is so cool to just see a big blue plane taking off in front of you. So it's cool. I mean, I think it's awesome. Hopefully um, Amazon will benefit exponentially from this. Uh, but I just want to make sure that we still have a, uh, a free transportation market. That's the only thing. So... Yeah. Yeah. No, I think actually your your biggest point here is that uh, Amazon is kind of consuming or, or, or becoming this huge uh, vertical, or or is it the horizontal? It's vertical, right? You're you're. It's everything but making the product. Right. I I forget which one that is, and I want to say is that not I vertical integration? I think it's vertical. Yeah. Uh. Well, either see. way, I, I think it's. It's amazing to see this again. This company that started as just a a a, a goods seller. Yeah, ver it's store. vertical integration. An online store. Yeah, so it is vertical it's integration. Vertical integration. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just so interesting to see to see that. And moreover, actually, I mean, not to mention they make their own products, right? You know, they have the Amazon Echo. They have all, all these other devices. So, I mean, technically, they're not just. Uh, you know, in the space of vertical integration with everything but the product for um, what you could call their customers, uh, customers not even just being the consumers, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also their customers. Right. They're also doing this, or they're completing as a vertical integration uh, ladder with their own products. Right. Um, so it's interesting to see a company that's so fully kind of put together, top down for their own stuff, and then also becoming this new uh, vertical for any other company that wants to sell a product to consumers. Right. Definitely. And we're going to have to keep an eye on that because I can only expect it to grow, especially as Amazon becomes more friendly with the FAA and uh, a, any form of uh, governmental agency or regulatory body. Um, I know there's been talk of Amazon drones actually being like a legit thing. And who knows? It's going to be interesting. Uh, so I just hope this uh, speeds up the shipping times. Um, I know during the pandemic, it's been hard for people to, or and for companies to keep up with demand uh, and to get people packages in a timely manner, uh, especially when you're talking about things like medication or uh, important, let's say, I don't know, documents, um, which obviously Amazon is not in the business of, of shipping, right? Um, but I, I do hope this, this does alleviate sort of uh, these these concerns of shipping and, and, and lead times for, for products or, or for sure. factoring into the lead times for products. Definitely. For hey, we'll keep an eye on that. 
So the next story that we have for you tonight is kind of wacky. Like, this is just kind of a wacky story. It is a hacker stole over $600 million of crypto, and now they're giving it back. Uh, the hacker says they're not so interested in money. And long story short, they stole a bunch of uh, cryptocurrency off of the Poly network here. Um, basically, it's a protocol that lets people transfer cryptocurrencies between blockchains. Um, and basically, as a bridge, they that's where they're kind of intercepting. Excuse me this cryptocurrency and uh they the hackers they posted this message to a hacker being like hey please give it back uh you're gonna make a lot of people unhappy and things are gonna be weird for you and the hacker's just like okay so he started like transferring the coins back but leaving all sorts of like cryptic messages about how he's not interested in money and he doesn't like all the the other coins in the market that he uses a uh um, a cuss word to describe and basically says how um, he's trying to almost rid the market of all of these small uh, no-name coins, basically. Um, and his goal is to basically devalue all of those small coins, which, according to people, may actually be happening and just kind of focus on a couple of the big coins that currently exist in the in the blockchains. So... I don't know. This is just wacky. Like the guy stole all the <laughs> yeah. money and is giving it back. And he's just like, well, I just want there to be less competition basically. So. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's, it's really bizarre. I mean, I, I suppose you can, you can sort of compare it to something, for example, like, uh, you know, ridding the market or ridding stores of Ticonderoga, uh, number two pencils to try and sell more, uh, paper mate uh pencils right to, to keep the paper mate company to, uh, making all the money for for their pencils um it's it's a little out there and a little wacky um i think the most profound thing though is that you're seeing someone very willingly give back this this stolen crypto um albeit in a very slow kind of painfully slow manner um it is just a little bizarre i mean like <laughs> You talk about manipulation of, of money and of uh, just stuff, right? Um, this is a really odd way to do that. Uh, we talked last week about, uh, was Ethereum uh, doing a sort of, almost in a way, money manipulation, but uh, more so a protective measure to make sure that Ethereum is uh, will last and that it doesn't right. outgrow itself, you know? Um, this is uh, this is a consumer or a just a, a random guy taking matter it matters into his own hands um which is just it's a little out there but if it really can make an impact that is also a little concerning right because mm -hmm. what happens if you get people that do this uh with some of the bigger coins you know like ethereum if they're trying to bolster um bitcoin or vice versa right mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think this is just so wacky. I, I, I keep going back to that. I'm like, they're just trying to get rid of the, get rid of a base level market and then just, just boost the, the two highest things. It's basically as if Amazon would go into um, the market and just basically kill anything that isn't themselves or eBay 
and just be like, these are the only two places you could get your get your uh, stuff online. Everybody else, you're we're going to hack you and put you out of business, basically. So I I, I got to caution you to be careful though about company manipulation sort of example i think a better example again like i said would be a more consumer based I, um, yeah i, I like, guess you know getting all the ticonderoga pencils to get the boost uh paper mates pencils or i hope they make pencils yeah they um do. they do I, I either way um yeah it's just a kind of wacky thing um but also to see that they're able to uh intercept this coin um in a seemingly uh very tight and secure sort of ecosystem that we, and, and a lot of people are being kind of told to believe that it's secure and, and our, our other people and adopters of the, of the coins are, are also trying to reinforce that notion to not only um, alleviate people's concerns, but to grow the adoption rate. And so I can definitely right. see this as a sort of um, roadblock for uh, people that are looking into or that are thinking of uh, adopting or getting into crypto, seeing that, well, it might not be as secure as you think. Definitely. Well, I have to once again, see how that goes. And, uh, hopefully that won't have any, uh, major effects on a lot of smaller coins. Alrighty. Uh, moving on, we have a couple of quick articles here. Uh, first one, Cybertruck delayed until at least 2022. Um, Everybody kind of expected it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's really much that we, we can say on that. Uh, honestly, it's like everybody was expecting the thing to get delayed and uh, it did. So, yay. I mean, when, when was the semi unveiled? Right, exactly. I mean, that was that was easily three years ago at this point. And I believe the Cybertruck was very close uh, there, too. Um, in fact, the semi and the roadster, which was supposed to come out last year, uh, were unveiled at the same event. Um, the Cybertruck was either 2019 or 18. Regardless, uh -huh. um, this is not off-brand for Tesla, but I think this kind of continues a sort of bad trend for Tesla, right? They just became profitable in the sense that not just uh, profiting uh, off of all of the revenue, um, but specifically that they didn't have to sell more of their uh, energy credits to make themselves profitable. Their car sales actually helped. Um, yeah. This this is not good for Tesla. They, 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 they've had so many logistical issues with the Model 3, the Model Y, the, the newest Tesla, Model S. I mean, right. it, it's, they need to get a grip on this. Now I understand that yes, we're in the middle of a chip shortage. You know there are there are extenuating circumstances, but I, I really think that Tesla needs to kind of recognize that they have a problem of not just unveiling a product before it's even done, but overpromising and in some cases underdelivering, especially when you consider a lot of the uh, quality issues that a lot of these Teslas face. Now I can I can really only uh, speak specifically on the Model S's, but I can only imagine that it is trickled down. Um, I, I can't say how many videos I've seen of of uh, Tesla owners that show that their their cars when they get them have all kinds of weird gaps between the trim and you know car doors don't fit the right way. I mean, talk about a design flaw like in the back of the trunk. 
just unlike regular cars that have a rubber gas gasket or lip that keep water or, or uh, rain or ro rain or snow or from going into the trunk when the trunk is open, there's nothing like that for the Tesla. So it just goes straight in. These are really easy design considerations and things that should be fixed, especially before you ramp up production on not just one vehicle, but four vehicles and three more that they want to uh, pursue. Right. So uh, I think they need to uh, cool it on their unveilings and figure out their uh, figure out their um, logistics first, because I think that's that's going to ultimately hurt them more than anything else. Right. And this is well, only a good another example of that. On the bright side, though, the next article here, the battery capacity retention averages 90 percent after 200,000 miles in a Tesla. Like that, that's pretty decent. And I mean, we quality issues aside in terms of like more, more design overlooks or physical stuff, the battery's pretty good. Like, let's, let's think about that for a second. 90% after 200,000 miles on a car to have 90% of the original, basically, I, I, I don't know. If this would charge be the right, capacity. yeah, char charge capacity and in a way li lifespan, I guess you could say. I mean, granted, there's other parts that could fail or whatever's going on, depending on bearings, things like that. But in a way, ninety percent of the the life of of your car after two hundred thousand miles, which is kind of crazy. So yeah, Tesla Tesla actually is a really interesting business model in that. Um, they sell you a car that is very heavily reliant on technology. And because it is so reliant on the software updates or, or they push the software updates as a big portion or, or, or part of the sale of the car, um, you can make a very easy argument that Tesla's actually only get better over time. Um, with newer software updates that unlocks more features, it makes the cars more efficient. Um, that is not the case with standard vehicles that lose you know a lot of their value when they drive off the lot with no you know promising features to come in the future other than maybe a maps update if you can get it for the car right. manufacturer and even then it's kind of a pain in the butt and tesla has over the air uh software updates so i mean you start with this car that only gets better over time and now you add on the fact that not only do they get better over time but they stay pretty consistently um, up to charge, if you want to use that terminology, over time as well. Think right. about, I mean, how long a standard consumer will keep their vehicle. 200,000 miles is actually a pretty uh, long range and long mileage for uh, a single user or a first owner of a vehicle. Yeah. Um, and to, to keep it at that high charge capacity uh, at 90% after 200,000 miles is pretty impressive. Now, you, you, you mentioned a good point, right? It's not just about the battery. It's not just about you know the electronics. There's physical, um, mechanical parts that can fail, and very understandably so. Um, but the car more heavily relying on technology and on uh, electronics and, and the software side of things. Um, honestly, this only makes uh, you know the the quality things aside. Um, this only makes Tesla's a little more desirable. I I believe so. I I definitely think that it's it's going to be interesting to see as when these cars start approaching 300, 400, 500,000 miles, because I don't think people are going to be as reluctant to give up a, a car like a Tesla as they would be with a, 
uh, a, a normal internal combustion engine car. Like, unfortunately, I had to wind up giving up mine uh, because of some issues with the engine and some other cosmetic stuff. Like, I, I had to. It, it was going to cost me more to fix said problems than it would have been for the, val the value of the car. So it's 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 crazy. And we're, we, we can see the elimination of a lot of these problems with these electric vehicles, with these batteries that are becoming more and more complex, more and more energy dense, more and more available to people. And as our next article shows, the new update on the 4680 battery from Tesla is basically saying like, wow, this is this is making this very much more effective than a lot of the current technology out there. Um, basically, in 2020, they released this battery, um, giving a little bit of information about it. But basically, they they validated that these these things actually existed uh, with their with their last report that they published. So, like, legitimately saying, "Hey, we actually have this ready to go," and "Hey, that this is validated," and we are like ready to push this out so well well i don't i don't know if it's actually quite ready i think the article the, the reason the article was posted was more so to say that it, it's not quite ready yet but they have validated it that that's um, that's that what it, i mean they, they've go. they've gotten the they've gotten that initial step like it's not just theory anymore they've they've consistently validated that this this does work and they're they're getting down that road to production yeah, can you pull up some numbers on that? I don't have sure. them off the top of my head, um, but I think it's really important to talk about these things. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I think the next biggest revolution in technology, and I firmly believe this, is battery technology, mobile battery technology, um, you know, car battery technology, electric, electrifying, uh, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, the whole gamut, right? Um, the next biggest revolution, and I think we're, we're finally seeing it um, in, in trickle down in, into consumer electronics because these things have been theoretical for a while and made in labs and things like that um, that weren't very viable to the public. With something like this, I think really we are starting a, a new um, emergence of this new uh, big tech boom of, of energy, um, of energy dense batteries. And I'm really excited to see where this goes. Obviously, um, Tesla is, has kind of pushed this. Um, they've been big on batteries with their gigafactories, with their uh, their wall packs. Um, I'm really excited for this. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to go watch Tesla's Battery Day uh, from 2020 last year. I can't remember if it was the beginning of September, the end of September, or the end of August. But it's it was in that it just time says frame. September 2020. Okay, yeah. but they give so many good, I mean, they, they lay it out for you. They, they talk about everything that they did to make this battery more efficient and to make batteries in general more efficient and to make this specific one so efficient, um, not, not just in terms of cost for them, but in terms of efficiently packing energy in, into that physical form, that, that 46 right. millimeter by 80 millimeter size. Um, it's right. really impressive. If you have the stats, I'd really like, uh, just sort of throw them out there. It's really wild. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And I definitely want to see how this, this pans out for Tesla too, with, as this, this technology develops, as we're seeing, um, some of this, this stuff progressing here. Um, 
And you mentioned all the stuff about like Tesla storing this energy, um, moving along with the, the self-driving technology, being so software update dependent. Um, it's interesting that you bring that up because there's this article, I think you sent this one in actually, from Car and Driver here about how yep. saying other driver assist systems work with without drivers too. And basically this article is fascinating about how the reviewers here basically fooled all of these uh, automakers systems into working basically like, like taping up a pair of sunglasses or putting a weight over the steering wheel and all that stuff. And just kind of fooling all, all of these, these systems into, into working correctly. So I just thought it was interesting. Like they put it a weight over the steering wheel to, to fool it, that there was a hand on the wheel. They taped up one of those like, uh, eyeglasses, like the funny, um, novelty stuff to trick it into that you're looking in the road and like a, a bunch of stuff like that, like really kind of, I don't want to call it hacking, but fooling the technology. I think this only proves that we are years away and I'm not even sure if years is maybe even the right word might be a decade. Um, I don't think it's really truly that far in the future. But I, I really think this just kind of affirms the or reaffirms the idea that self-driving cars um, are, are not that that kind of monitor the driver right um, are not fully uh, there yet. They're not they're not really there yet. Right. If you can prove that you know by taping a pair of novelty sunglasses onto a onto a, the back of a and the headrest of a, a car seat or put a weight on the wheel, which, I mean, putting a weight in the wheel is a really easy thing to do. Uh, just get some duct tape. I mean, that, that stuff will work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's that easy to trick the, uh, the system into working or, or, or to further progressing the car and whatever it's doing, I think it's, it's scary and it just proves that the te- technology is not there yet. Um, and to that end, we, we should not really be relying on this stuff as much as we should, because if you can fool a car uh, with fake means of, uh, you know, person there, imagine if, you know, someone is impaired or dozes off or whatever, and it still senses that person's there, and uh, it still works just as, as capably. Now, I know right. that there's already safeguards for that, but I mean, there's so many other instances, not just, you know, being drunk or, or falling asleep, um, that very obviously and very clearly can, uh, can fake the cameras. I mean, just wearing the googly eye uh, uh, pair of glasses when you're driving is, is problematic. Yeah. And, even... and to that end, you know, we talked about uh, manufacturers possibly being mandated to put these systems in cars to make sure that uh, the drivers are okay to drive. Right. I, I think this kind of further proves that it's a very good idea in principle, mm-hmm. but in practice and reality, it's not quite feasible, at least right now. Right. And we'll, we'll definitely have to see as that, uh, as that progresses. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. We had a story a while back about how people would put a piece of duct tape on a 35 mile an hour sign and trick a Tesla and going 85. Like it's, it's one of those things where you don't oh, know what you man. don't know. <laughs> so Hey, we'll, 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 you gotta see. So 
Well, I'm I'm kind of interested in these ways how people don't necessarily abuse the technology but trick it. Um, and that gives a lot of insight into researchers and safety practitioners who are all tr working to prevent things like exactly that from happening. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to see. Another news story that we have here, this is more so on the side of privacy here, uh, but basically this call center, this Columbia call center, uh, for teleperformance here that serves uh, Apple, Amazon, and Uber basically wants to install cameras in their employees' homes to monitor their work and basically record whatever happens. And uh, basically they mentioned this at their office in Columbia. Um, and yeah, it's they're just kind of like, what what do we do? We work at our we work at home. We we don't work in like an office. I don't want to literally have the employer watching me at all times through a camera. Like Yeah, I, I think it's more the idea that they can because I, I doubt they're gonna be monitoring every single person live. Not it's not, said it's, not monitoring every single person live, but someone is really gonna be looking at every single person that's working live. They, right? they said it's um, uh that's a, it's AI looking for basically like key indicators uh, for certain, uh, certain things. Okay. So they, they didn't yeah. really go into what that was, but I have a feeling it's like, if you pick up your phone, like your, your uh, cell phone uh, where like, if you touch a specific area to like receive a call on a headset or something like that. And then um, whether it may actually be you who's really working and not somebody else. So that's, hmm. that's my thoughts. I don't support that's, this, but yeah. I understand from a company perspective why they would want to see this, but I think it's a mass invasion of privacy. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think a, a sort of a semi example of, of this that's already in practice. Um, and especially during the pandemic um, and fits your well aware of this as well. Um, in universities, especially pretty university, um, when you do take home tests, um, you have to do like a interesting, like screen, uh, sharing tech, you, you toggle this uh, application, it locks you out of, um, a lot of other applications, but it also records mm -hmm. you while you're taking the test. Um, and it, it'll flag, the system will flag you, uh, for any sort of erroneous behavior, whether, yeah, you're touching your. Uh, something offside or you're looking one way when you shouldn't be. Um, this sort of technology is already kind of out there. And that's obviously for a very good reason. Keep kids from cheating. Um, does it really settle my uh, the chaotic side of my brain thinking I don't really love people looking at me, much less AI kind of like trying to trying to figure out what I'm doing? Try, trying um, to catch I, me I in like the that. act there. Yeah, like, like basically trying yeah. to incriminate me. But it's, it's a sort of uh, similar example where you have uh, sort of uh, higher power, whether it be the employer or the university, trying to make sure that the students or the workers aren't doing behavior or aren't participating in behavior that is, um, that, that's not acceptable, that is uh, sort of like negative, uh, especially for ex the example that I gave for, for cheating on tests. Um, but yeah, it, it's a little shady. I, I know um, 
uh, a friend of mine who uh, owns a or runs a, a, a company um, was talking about installing a sort of monitoring software on uh, her uh, employees' laptops. And she she's kind of like an older um, generation and, and she saw it as more of like a, yeah, this makes sense. If they're working at home, they should be monitored. And obviously she, she said that, or at least obviously you me, uh, she mentioned that, yeah, you know, these younger people push back so much and I don't really understand why it's company property, you know, on their company laptops. Um, we, we need to make sure they're working right. And I just had to remind them like, you know, it, it sort of is an invasion of privacy. If you don't really trust your employees to work effectively at home, I think there's a bigger issue. It's not, I mean, technology is not going to fix that, um, you know, or really going to change much. I can't imagine. Yeah. If you're scared to lose your job, I think maybe. Um, but I would also, I would almost say that, uh, especially in this day and age where we're seeing more and more people uh, work from home um, and wanting to work from home, especially in, in newer jobs that people are getting uh, over the course of this pandemic, uh, I can see this sort of a sticking point for people uh, if they're, if they know or uh, have a feeling that they're going to be monitored in their new workplace, that their employer doesn't trust yeah. them to do the work that um, they need to do. Definitely. And it's it's one of those things where li- this is literally the most direct um, direct correlation I have ever seen to George Orwell's 1984. Like literally the most like dead spot on connection I've seen to that book, and it's 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 crazy. Big Brother literally watching you, and um, if you haven't read that, definitely give it a read. Um, but it's a basically summary about a dystopian society where the government watches your every move and you get thrown in a camp if you have free thought, basically. Um, and that's yeah. almost, in a way, what they're doing here. You're They're monitoring your performance. If you're not doing everything as you should, chances are you're going to get terminated. So it's, it's, it's a very similar correlation here. So... I don't know. It's definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine if my company just, just out of the blue said, all right, you can no longer cover your cameras. You always have to have them on, no matter if you're in a meeting or not. I can only imagine the pushback, uh, from, from my other, uh, coworkers, um, as well as any other, you know, I think a very, uh, I mean, any, any employee, uh, right. Um, who, who feels that they, they think they have a right to privacy, which they do, um, right. that they shouldn't always have to be monitored every second of the day. There are better ways to track performance, um, you know, weekly check-ins um, or, or, you know, by, by monthly check-ins or whatever it is, you know, every other week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they could be monitoring, you know, how well you're doing on projects, if projects are moving along, if you're getting through your queue, for example, of, of people over the phone. Uh, quickly enough, or if you're not, if you're not getting enough, uh, if you're not, you're not calling more people or whatever. Um, yeah, I can see that being a, a better way to track productivity. Cause if you're not answering calls or you're not, um, taking calls, um, or, or helping out customers further than you need to, mm-hmm. uh, that's a very easy thing to track and a better way, I think, to kind of solve this employees not working effectively or efficiently problem definitely well 
we're, we're going to have to see once again, how that pans out. I mean, I, I will be honest with you. I thought the article ended after, before the first ad. So I wasn't able to read like the entire thing. I I'm probably going to do another follow-up on this similar story or something along the lines of this, because I actually just found this a little earlier today. Um, this, this specific story, even though it's a couple days old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the next article we have for you is kind of, kind of stupid, uh, but it's, it's really funny. Um, people are buying $200,000 NFT rocks. Uh, basically they have the other rock, uh, which is just basically a one of one NFT, uh, that is just basically a rock. It's a picture of a rock. It's on the other rocks website. It says that the NFTs serve no purpose beyond being able to bought, uh, bought and sold, giving you a strong sense of pride being an owner of one of only 100 rocks. Like if, if, if this, if this is not an example that we are living in a meme economy, I don't know what is. You know, I thought the bottom of the barrel and it was a pretty shallow bottom of the barrel at the time was selling pictures of 8-bit animated or digital characters. If I thought that was kind of pointless, I really can't wrap my mind around this. And not only that, but I think it just makes that barrel a bit taller with the bottom of heck of a bit deeper, uh, really scraping the bottom of the barrel there um, for, for digital monetizable content. Right. Um, I, I've made plenty of cases for and against NFTs um, on the show. I, I've said, I can't wait to see, you know, where it goes. I mean, obviously it's kind of what we say about a lot of these articles, but specifically with NFTs, because it seems that they're really popping off this year. And there have been right. some really cool uh, use cases for it. We had the one where uh, it was for a timeshare. They used it uh, as a sort of uh, or as a sort of uh, a reservation yeah. and, and purchase and ownership of a, a timeshare. We've seen um, you know doing digital versions of physical things like the Steve Jobs um, first business application or job application, which is just kind of cool thing. We've seen art. Uh, to sort and kind of uh, help the museums where the art actually uh, lies, sort of recoup those uh, the money lost from COVID. This is just a really pointless yeah, thing, is, and it just kind of goes to show like if people will pay people will pay for anything if they know that it's scarce, and if they also think that it will uh, be a valuable asset in their portfolio moving forward that being said just a personal opinion and again we are not financial advisors i think this is pointless i think it's stupid i think you can spend your money in far better ways um just in stocks alone that are a little more you know that are a little more stable and again and i'll say this again since ryan's not here to say it for me we are not financial <laughs> advisors. We cannot advise you on what to do with your money, where to invest it, anything of the sort. But again, as my opinion, I think this is, for lack of a better term, pointless and stupid. And it literally says so in the article. Money on that. 
especially with go. the amount of money that people are paying for these. There are better NFTs to buy yes. that could actually be valuable and potentially uh, increase in value. I can't imagine this being one of those. There you go. Well, before we get into our last article, you sent in once again one of our funny tweets uh, to go over before um, we get into that. So I'll hand the floor over to you. Um, let me know when you want me to uh, throw up the image. Yeah, um, another week of meme tweets. Again, the the purpose of this segment. Uh, there's plenty of tweets out there that are thrown out, you know, with negativity, and they're very politically charged. And, uh, you know, we're constantly hearing this concept of mean, mean tweets. Uh, and so the purpose of this is to just throw out a funny tweet, something that just kind of is very tongue in cheek, uh, trying to get some of them like the tech people in the industry and catch them um, on what they're tweeting. Elon Musk was very caught up in uh, SpaceX this past week. So unfortunately, uh, he didn't have any good memeable moments, but one that was very uh, memeable. And that was uh, a very instant uh, hot button issue, which we already covered uh, early in the episode, was Apple and their monitoring of people's uh, content and their, their pictures. So I'll let you uh, bring it up there, Fitz. Yep. So we have a, a prequel meme uh, on top of a tech meme um, for uh, this Apple sort of uh, monitoring where Anakin is very... Uh, set in, in his ways and uh padma gets very worried so um you can just pop it up we can let people read it for a few yep. seconds but for we're good i yeah we were we just had it up there but yeah very funny and uh <laughs> yeah pr- pr- pretty much yeah so uh <laughs> we'll, we'll sorry, see where sorry that goes to our audio only viewers uh or listeners uh if you want to see the meme tweets you got to tune into the uh, or not tune in, not just tune in, but watch our show on YouTube, uh, when it is uploaded after the live. Um, but yep. yeah, just another week of mean, of mean tweets. Definitely. Well, the last article we have for you today is really interesting. And, uh, the, the, uh, title of this episode is just a bunch of random letters and characters, right? Um, no, uh, we're actually... Uh, Grizzlo suggested this title and I thought it was really good um, and we were crunched for time. Uh, so we, we went with it and we rolled with it. So um, basically what this is standing for is artificial intelligence plus intellectual property equals what? And for a lot of the viewers out there, uh, this is what happened. In South Africa, a patent was granted to an AI so, uh, yeah, long story short, um, and we, all of us on the show are really fascinated with intellectual property. We think it's super interesting. We have connections in the industry and we just find it really fascinating to see. But basically, um, the creators of an AI called Davis, Dabis, I don't know, um, basically invented a stacking container system that would be, uh, able to get picked up by robot arms and worked with much easily than other stuff. Um, and basically it generated the designs, all the idea for it. And then, uh, the creators of this, this, um, algorithm submitted the patent application to all the regulatory bodies listing the AI as the inventor. 
in most countries, it just got shot down immediately, like in the U.S., basically where it was saying that um, there, there was somewhere in this article here that says, here it is, um, the, the respective patent laws provide for human inventors, not AI, as indicated by the use of pronouns such as him and her. Second, ideas for the purpose of patents required the element of mental conception, something of which only a human mind can do. And finally, inventorship comes with rights, which an AI cannot have. So I want to hear your take on this, Grislow. I think that it's a really interesting issue, and I agree with what the U.S. did in this case. I agree with you. Um, I mean... I think number one, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the qualification of a person's uh, being with pronouns, I'm sure, can be a very hotly contested uh, qualification. Um, that aside, the purpose of that is to uh, assign that it, the person that is applying for the application is a person. No matter what you know, pronouns you use, they, them, he, her, uh, she, he, um, I think I mixed some of those collectives yeah, up and then whatever. You know, a, a lot of the other pronouns that people have now, um, that aside, <laughs> I, I think it's very funny, um, that we're getting to this point where we, we went from, we're very afraid of, of robots and AI taking over. Um, people like Elon Musk have tried to limit AI, um, integration to the world and use um, to keep any sort of nefarious things from happening uh, to all of a sudden now granting patents to non-alive, non-beings. It's, it's right. a very bizarre, uh, it's really just bizarre. I think that, I, I think that you, you really can't reconcile with the, the fact that this product um, or this thing, this, this idea, the system was created by an algorithm that someone made. At the end of the day, I mean, you can argue the same about uh, that. that the, and the reason that uh, the original developer of the AI should be granted the patent is the same reason why um, people that, uh, or, or companies that create new products um, get the patent for the products as opposed to the algorithms that run the testing or the validation or the um, uh, like efficiency um, sort of uh, test and situations, right? It, it's not about the thing that it arose from. It's the idea that the original creator has sort of like a trickle down ownership chain. Um, right. I mean, in a way, in a way, you can sort of compare this to um, a if if you if if you as an employee uh, use a company computer, you work on company time, you work in the office on a product uh, that you eventually want to make and sell, your company does ultimately have ownership uh, or at least partial ownership over that idea or that uh, product because you use company time or you worked in the office or you use that company laptop. It was owned by them. It's given by them, and so they have ownership of it. And I think that sort of idea still maintains truth in this situation where you have an AI creating something 
but the AI was created by an individual in the first place. I think you could really go down the rabbit hole here and make a case if an AI made an AI, um, and the, that second AI or the child AI made a product that, you know, the original AI could claim uh, ownership of it. But again, I really think the chain of custody uh, still goes straight to the original creator of it. I, I don't really think you can give uh, derivative ownership of a product or a patent or any intellectual property uh, to a non alive or a, a just, just a, electrical electrical doodads yeah exactly and i i I agree with you and i definitely think that as we get into as you mentioned more of this happening and stuff like that i think it should go back on whatever made that the thing that made the thing so like it's it's and uh i i this is such an odd relation um but it really um this kind of relates back to the video, uh, the history of the world, I guess, by Bill Wirtz. Uh, basically, at the end of the video, they go, and now we have thing makers, and thing makers make the thing maker that made the thought that made the thing, and like they kind of he goes down this kind of rabbit hole of like what does the future hold, what what what's going to happen, and when now we're actually starting to see that, especially in the bureaucracy sense, the legal sense, the intellectual property sense here, and. This is this is begging the question for a lot of these governments. Do we have the laws in place to restrict things like this from happening or how do we handle that? So I definitely think that as we we go forward here, we're going to see reform in in the the governmental body that that regulates ideas, that regulates the commercializations of ideas, that regulates the um the i the ownership of ideas like i i just think it's 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 a very interesting article and i highly recommend that you give this um this article a re- read on the next web um definitely an interesting read yeah i i think i mean obviously there's two ways to go about this in terms of regulations right and there really aren't any two ways other than these you either get which in patents is more uh, widely used. You get so broad in, in the idea of uh, ownership that it covers any sort of entity or any sort of being, whether it be alive or, uh, or sentient or, or AI, or you go hyper-specific and create clauses specifically for AI or anything that comes out of artificial life artificial intelligence. Um, either way, you're going to have issues because you're going to find loopholes if you make it too spe- too broad or you're going to make it too specific that it doesn't cover enough of these sort of issues that arise. Um, I think the United States uh, Patent and Trademark Office has already kind of established those in mm-hmm. that it has to have a, a being that uh, it has to have it does not have rights uh, just because it's not a person, um, and it also has to. Um, can't remember the third point. Uh, they they said it has to have the human mind. Right, and, and it's not uh, it's not a free thinker. 
um, right. or at least in terms of, of of really free, right? No one's putting a gun to to your head to think of something. Which, in, in a way, case, you really is how you get out of that situation. I mean, in a way, that's kind of what you do for AI in in order to train. It's almost like you're you're putting you're doing something like that. You're getting a very you're punishing bad and rewarding good. That's how you train an AI. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean like, and, and especially in the case of, again, using software to um, make things more efficient, it's not the software. It, it is the software that ultimately maybe came up with um, a solution. Uh-huh. Um, but in terms of ownership, there's still someone that made that software, right? Right. It's not, for example, you know, the the software that made uh, file sizes much smaller that gets the credit for making the file size smaller. Someone had to come up with an algorithm to do that, and they are the ones that get the credit, not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, the the software that was written for that purpose. And it was made for that purpose by someone, right, who right. had free will, who had, you know who have rights, um, who, who is free, uh, thinking, right. uh, I, I think that maybe, maybe, um, I guess in the case that, uh, these aren't, uh, current restrictions or, um, sort of validators, um, for patents in, in South Africa, maybe we need to think more broadly and, and maybe the world needs to think more broadly about this and, about implementing these i think uh in the article though it does say uh, a, a main motivator for allowing this patent to go through was uh to sort of break a, the socioeconomic climate there um which i understand but again i i think there would be more, more credit should be going to the original inventor of the algorithm of the right. ai um and in turn i, I think that should uh, sort of help the socioeconomic uh, status of a country. It's trying to get more inventors, uh, just like you know they they would for for anything else. Um, Definitely. And, and to that end, like I don't really think that I don't really think that uh, this is really encouraging people to continue in inventing and, and you know innovating i I think this really kind of only leads to people that can program really rad stuff and and really um smart ai to um to monopolize this and only take away from human inventors and creators we will definitely have to uh see how that goes because you you do bring up a valid point and i mean i don't know I still think there's there's a lot of innovation to be had. There's a lot of patents to be granted. There's a lot of stuff that will you can do. It's just one of those things where it if you you could patent every single thing in the world, it's just going to cost you bajillions of dollars. Like it's 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 insane. And for an AI to even be able to develop something like that, I think is is a great step in in technology as a whole. I it's just what where where should it stop that's that's i that i think is the the big the big thing here so right all righty well we have been going for 
two hours now at this point. So um, <laughs> I'm probably I going to. I think we have to... a really funny common theme of saying we're going to make this a really short episode. We're going to be more concise. And then about halfway through, we kind of realize, all right, it's probably going to be a little longer of an yep. episode. And now we get to the two hour mark and it's just, well, it is what it is. And two hours right there. So anyway, um, we're going to prob- we're going to sign off for uh, today. Thank you so much for joining us for Tech Talk Nation. Uh, follow us on our social media. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt, I called him Matt. Uh, Grizzlo shouted it out at the beginning of the show. So uh, please refer to all of that about um, how to follow us, get connected, and um, we hope you tune in to more episodes of Tech Talk Nation. Um, Watch our social media for a lot of cool updates coming soon, and uh, we hope to see you back here next week. So have a wonderful day, and see you soon. Alrighty. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Tech Talk Nation. Tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech.